0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Potentially classified documents were found in an office President Biden used in his campaign days and beforehand. Top Republicans react. The U.S. Supreme Court denied an appeal from attorneys general from 14 Republican-led states to bring back a Trump-era border policy. Critics of the policy say former President Trump misinterpreted existing law when putting the rule in place. The new rules package for the House passed along party lines yesterday, but not before some hot takes from both sides of the aisle. A war game simulating a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. In a recent report, a leading think tank tells us what would happen in such a scenario. President Biden came under some new scrutiny yesterday. It was revealed he kept potentially classified documents in a private office after his time as vice president. today's Daniel Monahan brings us up to speed.
1: The Justice Department is now reviewing the batch of documents with classified markings. They were discovered in one of Biden's private offices at the Penn-Biden Center in Washington in early November last year. But their discovery was not disclosed until January 9th 2023. Representative Dave Joyce reacted to the news. If it's a crime to have these things outside of their controlled setting, then no matter who it is, uh, they should be held accountable. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy expressed surprise about the discovery. Oh, really? They just now found them after all these years.
2: Any uh, comment on the
1: documents, sir? President Biden only smiled when asked about the documents. Biden's lawyers say they found the government materials in a locked closet while closing out the office. He worked at the Penn-Biden Center after the Trump administration took office until Biden started campaigning for the 2020 election. Materials with classified markings were found at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in the autumn of last year. FBI agents then executed a search warrant on the premises. Biden spoke on 60 Minutes shortly after the FBI raid. How that could possibly happen, how anyone could be that irresponsible? REP. James Colmer says he expects the same treatment for President Biden as regards compliance with the Presidential Records Act. Republicans hold a majority in the House after a successful midterm election. Colmer and other top Republicans have already vowed to investigate Biden and his family members. Across the aisle, Rep. Jamie Raskin says that attorneys for Biden appear to have taken immediate and proper action. Meanwhile, Attorney General Merrick Garland has selected Trump-appointed U.S. Attorney John Lausch to investigate the discovery of the documents. Trump shared a news story on the events on Truth Social, saying, When is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: An update to a border story we reported on last Friday. The Supreme Court now rejected a lawsuit led by Texas which would have brought back a Trump-era immigration rule. Meanwhile, some Republicans are trying to tackle the immigration crisis after taking control of the House.
3: The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday rejected a Texas-led challenge to reinstate a Trump-era immigration policy. The rule blocks certain immigrants from gaining permanent residency status if they're deemed likely to qualify for government benefits. The High Court didn't say why it rejected the challenge. An appeal from 14 Republican-led state attorneys general, led by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, tried to reinstate the rule, which prevents illegal immigrants from residing in the U.S. if they're likely to rely on taxpayer-funded programs. Paxton said in a previous statement that the Biden administration is committed to opening the borders to aliens who lack the ability to take care of themselves. Texans should not have to pay for these costly immigrants, nor should any other American. The Department of Homeland Security previously said former President Trump misinterpreted an existing law when putting in place the border policy in question. Meanwhile in the House, Representative Mark Green of Tennessee is set to become the new chairman of the Homeland Security Committee for the 118th Congress. He was nominated by House Republican leaders during a steering committee meeting Monday morning and beat out Dan Crenshaw, who was also aiming for the post. Green says one of his first tasks would be contacting Texas Governor Greg Abbott.
4: First thing I'm going to do is actually call uh, uh, Governor Abbott because I think Texas has, um, you know, por- borne the brunt of this. All of our border states have borne the brunt of the open border, but probably none more than Texas. And so.
3: He added that securing the border is a top priority and that homeland security needs to be improved in order to achieve that. ...restructuring DHS because DHS has
4: some significant span of control issues. How they report to Congress has been a problem that many Congresses have tried to fix and failed to fix, both Republicans and Democrats, on that issue. And last
3: week, the Biden administration announced that immigrants who cross the land border will be sent back by American law enforcement. At the same time, migrants from various countries will get the chance to come to the U.S. legally, as long as they travel by plane, get a sponsor like a church or relative, and pass
5: background checks trying to do is, um, and more broadly, incentivize a safe and orderly way and cut out the smuggling
3: organizations. Mayorkas said Biden's newly proposed rules are important to
0: stop the violent smuggling of immigrants. Turning now to migration through Latin America to the U.S., a new report by the Center for Immigration Studies is out about the United Nations involvement in this. It says the international organization is set to hand out hundreds of millions of dollars in cash to migrants this year. We hear from the author of the report on how U.S. taxpayer money is being used here and a story of outrage by a migrant shelter worker in Mexico in connection with this money. Joining me now is Todd Benzman, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, Todd.
4: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Please tell us more about the cash working groups that are organized by the U.N. and how they are purportedly central to the White House's border management plan to pre-legalize immigrants before they cross the southern border.
4: Sure. Well, the United Nations has organized uh, really a large constellation of non-profit, non-governmental organizations that help migrants and refugees south of the border as they are traveling to our border, uh, 220 organizations and the UNHCR and the IOM, the International Organization for Migration, uh, work with all of these NGOs to provide comfort, aid and assistance and especially cash to this incredible Uh, onslaught of humanity that is moving toward the U.S. border constantly. Uh, The planning document for 2023 is out for this organization, for this whole kind of grouping. Uh, It's online. It just came out in late December. And I analyzed that document and found that they plan to provide at least $450 million in 2023 in debit card cash and cash vouchers for things like hotels and bus, transportation, uh, air transportation, shelter, uh, really all basic needs so that uh, immigrants who might not have come before uh, know that they can at least make it and sustain, be sustained while they're en route.
0: So Todd, you mentioned the UNHCR. The Regional Refugee and Migrant Response Plan for this year and next is organized in part by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. It wants about 450 million of the money it's asking for this year to go to cash equivalents for migrants and refugees moving throughout Latin America. Some of that money is from American taxpayers. Can you give us some insight into the dynamics of how American money is flowing throughout all this?
4: Sure, well the United States provides the vast bulk of United Nations contributions every year. It's in the billions and billions of dollars. Uh, it's it's provided through Congress and the executive branch, the president and the State Department in different ways. And it's a very opaque system where we don't really know exactly which of the 15 UN organizations are getting wh- which lumps of money. So. Uh, The the reporting on that is very delayed. Uh, We just don't have uh, very accurate numbers. But this document that I described at least gives us the fact that the U.S. last year gave $391 million of the refugee and migration assistance money uh, that was doled out uh, of the $700 million that was doled out, so about half of it. The U.N. provided the other half last year, but a lot of that money was also provided by the United States. So I think the United States is probably providing the lion's share of all of the money going to support the U.S.-bound migration.
0: Thanks for giving us an idea of the allocation of the money there. Can you tell us what the director of the immigrant shelter in Monterey was so upset about in terms of a raise a migrant was seeking on top of the money the U.N. was giving her on a debit card? Uh,
4: The director of the largest migrant shelter in Mexico, uh, in Monterey, I was surprised to learn he was resentful uh, about this money because His shelter is funded by the UN and provides food, shelter, and all basic necessities as it is. But yet this woman, a mother of three children, was also receiving 6,000 pesos a month while she and they were receiving all this aid. And she was trying to enlist him to get her a raise. It wasn't enough. She wanted more and more and more. And he was just furious because he said, look, the average Mexican doesn't get that kind of money and they work hard and they don't get that kind of money. And here are these you know, migrants that are just coming through on their way to the U.S. who are taking all of this money. And there was a lot of resentment. I interviewed this guy and he was uh, you know, voice rising in anger uh, recounting this.
0: Well, thank you for giving us an update on that interview. Todd Benzman, Senior National Security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. It's great to have your analysis. Thanks for having me. Newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is settling into his new role now. Republicans approved their rules package for House governance yesterday. They also passed a bill that rolls back billions of dollars of funding for the IRS. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more on the GOP's first day exercising their majority.
5: The House will be in order. The new Rules Package was approved along party lines on a vote of 220 to 213. It allows any individual member to move that the Speaker's chair be vacated. That forces a new vote for a Speaker of the House if adopted. The package also restores the right of individual members to offer amendments to legislation from the floor, and requires all members to have 72 hours to read proposed bills before voting. Another aspect is the requirement for bills brought to the floor to cover a single subject. New House Majority Leader Stephen Scalise says the days of bills being written behind closed doors without input from committees and submitted in the dark of night are over. He referenced the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill.
4: Mostly borrowed from countries like China. You look at all of the things that had absolutely nothing to do with the general operations of government that were thrown in that. Now you can start looking at it today, but you surely couldn't look at it the day of the vote because very few people had the opportunity to read it. Over 4,000 pages dumped by dark of night right before the vote. And yes, a majority of this Congress voted by proxy on that bill. They weren't even here.
5: Outgoing Democratic House Rules Committee Chairman Jim McGovern criticized McCarthy for making concessions to win votes and says the Republican Party has been hijacked by an extremist mega-faction.
4: Three seats
5: on the Rules Committee for
4: Conservatives,
5: freezing spending at FY2022 levels, a debt ceiling strategy, coveted committee assignments and more. Is this what the uh, majority leader meant when he talked about a new day and transparency? McGovern called the package a joke before urging Congress members to vote no. And the icing on the cake? A new subcommittee to push QAnon conspiracies and launch fake investigations into non-existent scandals. What's next? A rule requiring we all wear tinfoil hats? New Rules Committee Chair Representative Tom Cole had a different take on the purpose of the new subcommittee. He says it will investigate the weaponization of the federal government, the origin of the coronavirus and the impact from shutdowns, and strategize competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. To respond to threats posed by the CCP, ensure economic competitiveness for America, and protect human rights. Cole says he's proud of the rules package. He thinks it reflects the priorities of Republicans and the voters that elected them. It ensures that we will hold the Biden administration. And the Chinese Communist Party accountable, and it ensures that we will get our fiscal house in order. After forcing the new rules through, Republicans passed their first bill later in the day. The Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act rescinds over $70 billion
0: in funding to the IRS. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The bill makes good on McCarthy's promise to repeal the 87,000 new IRS agents on the very first day if he took the gavel. It will stop the agency from doubling its workforce to conduct new audits. It leaves funding for customer service and IT service upgrades in place. The Congressional Budget Office says the bill will add $114 billion to the federal deficit over 10 years. What would happen if China invades Taiwan? What would a war with China do to the U.S.? A leading think tank in D.C. released a report on their war game simulations of such scenarios.
6: D.C.-based think tank Center for Strategic and International Studies designed a war game of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. It modeled an amphibious invasion of Taiwan in 2026 and ran it 24 times in a variety of scenarios. Here is what they found.
2: Under most circumstances, China is unlikely to succeed in its operational objectives uh, or to occupy Taipei. And second, the costs of war would be high for all involved, as Mark said, certainly to include the United States. Uh, Starting on the operational piece,
6: uh, the challenges confronting China in an invasion are severe. The report highlights that Taiwan is likely to maintain its autonomy in the case of a Chinese invasion. But four critical conditions must be met.
2: First, Taiwan must resist. If Taiwan capitulates immediately upon invasion, like Denmark or Thailand did in World War II, then there's nothing that the U.S. can do in order to uh, reverse that capitulation. Second, the U.S. must quickly commit its own forces to direct combat operations against China. If there's no U.S. commitment whatsoever, We estimate that it would take about two or three months for China to conquer Taiwan if Taiwan resisted to the best of its abilities, but that that success on China's part is inevitable.
6: The other two conditions are that the U.S. must conduct operations from its bases in Japan and the U.S. must have sufficient anti-ship munitions. And in terms of the losses, the report says the U.S. and allies would lose dozens of ships, hundreds of aircraft, and tens of thousands of service members.
2: Bases on Guam are just, uh, generally destroyed on, in the first hours of the war by Chinese intermediate-range ballistic missiles. And in all but five of the games, uh, China attacked U.S. bases in Japan, which often brings to, uh, would often bring Japan into the war.
6: The report says such an invasion would also bring heavy losses to China, and failure to occupy Taiwan might destabilize the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Retired U.S. Air Force General David Deptula said the U.S. needs to get creative in deterring a Chinese invasion. I believe it's extraordinarily unwise, from a deterrent perspective, to yield sanctuary to the P.R.C. in advance of any contact conflict by declaring that U.S. attacks against China's mainland would be off the table. The think tank says that based on their report, the U.S. should strengthen deterrence immediately.
0: Coming up, a federal agency is looking at banning natural gas stoves over health concerns. The stoves are currently used in 40 percent of American homes. And prosecutors say a man accused of using a truck to kill people on a New York City bike path did it to please the ISIS terrorist group. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The U.S. Supreme Court turned down a case that sought to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The justices didn't explain their reasoning. Utah resident Rollin Brunson originally filed his case in state court. He argued that federal officials, including all members of Congress, failed to meet their oath of office because they intentionally refused to investigate evidence that the 2020 election was fraudulent. The case was later moved to federal court. Brunson noted that President Biden's campaign rallies drew fewer people than former President Trump's and said that was circumstantial evidence that warranted an investigation into election fraud. He also pointed to how election laws in multiple states were changed before the election, including some changes that were later found to be unconstitutional. Brunson also mentioned affidavits from poll workers and others attesting to fraud. He asked the court to remove the defendants from office and to order Trump to be inaugurated as president. Government lawyers urged the court to dismiss the case, saying the claims were barred by legislative immunity. A special grand jury in Georgia investigating the 2020 election has finished its work. The jury focused on whether former President Trump and his allies attempted to interfere in election results. The special grand jury issued its final report after many months of witness testimony. Now a judge has ordered the panel dissolved, but the judge hasn't decided whether to publish the report as the jury recommended. A hearing on that is scheduled for January 24th. Meanwhile, the next step is to consider criminal charges against the former president and his allies. The investigation was opened in 2021 after a recording surfaced between Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger discussing the results of the 2020 election. Trump called the probe a strictly political witch hunt. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has ended its probe of former Senator Richard Burr. The investigation lasted over two years. It looked at stock trades he made while in office. The SEC decided not to take any action against the now-retired lawmaker. Burr and his brother-in-law both came under scrutiny for stock trades made in the early days of the CCP virus pandemic. Senate financial disclosures show Burr selling stocks in the hospitality industry, which suffered heavy financial losses shortly after the pandemic hit. According to CNN, the SEC previously said that Burr possessed non-public information about COVID-19 and its potential economic impact. Lawmakers and their aides are not allowed to such information to make a private profit. Burr maintained his innocence throughout the probe and insisted he made his stock trading decisions solely on public news reports, including CNBC reports out of Asia where the virus outbreak began. A federal agency may implement a nationwide ban on natural gas stoves over concerns that they cause health and respiratory problems. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission plans to seek public comment on gas stoves. It could then set standards on emission or even possibly ban gas burners. Natural gas stoves are estimated to be used in roughly 40% of all U.S. homes. Industry groups say they don't necessarily emit more harmful emissions than other types of stoves. They also say proper ventilation solves any problems. The Environmental Protection Agency and the World Health Organization have said that natural gas stoves emit unsafe levels of air pollutants. The Supreme Court has sided with a Texas death row inmate who says he was wrongly convicted based on faulty DNA evidence. In a rare reversal, the district attorney who had prosecuted the case filed a brief in support of Aureli Escobar. Escobar was convicted in 2011 of murdering 17-year-old Bianca Maldonado Hernandez. A state judge previously ruled in favor of Escobar after finding evidence of handling issues at the lab used in the case and rendering key DNA evidence unreliable. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals later still affirmed the conviction and death sentence. In the U.S. Supreme Court appeal, Escobar's lawyers argued his conviction should be wiped away. On Monday, the high court justices sent the case back to the Texas Appeals Court for further consideration of a new trial. The appeals court still has the option to reach the same conclusion and uphold the conviction again. Iowa's largest school district canceled classes for today. They determined there was a cyber attack on the technology network. Des Moines Public Schools says it took its Internet and network services offline while it assessed the situation. It didn't describe the nature of the attack or say whether sensitive information might have been stolen. The school district says it is prudent decision to close for the day. It stated that technology used for classroom learning and management and operation of the school district are not available. The district will decide later today whether to hold classes tomorrow. Federal prosecutors say a man accused of using a truck to kill eight people on a Manhattan bike path in 2017 is an ISIS sympathizer. Prosecutors said at the start of his trial on Monday that he carried out the attack to satisfy the terrorist group.
7: Prosecutors said Sefulo Saipov was in possession of serrated knives when he used a rental truck to mow down victims in the Halloween attack, leaving behind mangled bicycles, wounded and dead victims, and a school bus with a, quote, truck-sized hole and that afterward Saipov declared he did it for ISIS. Those killed include five Argentinian tourists and one Belgian tourist. More than a dozen other people were severely injured. Saipov has pleaded not guilty to all 28 charges. The U.S. Department of Justice said in September that it intends to seek the death penalty. It is the first federal death penalty trial under President Joe Biden. Robert Dunham, executive director of the Death Penalty Information Center, said federal prosecutors are determining whether they will seek the death penalty on a case-by-case basis. The jury will not consider punishment during the first phase of the trial. If they find Saipov guilty of any capital crimes, they would then be required to weigh whether to sentence him to death.
0: Fisher-Price reissued a recall Monday for a baby sleeper responsible for over 100 infant deaths. The initial recall of nearly 5 million rock-and-play sleepers came in April 2019. After more than 30 infants died when they rolled from their backs to their stomachs or sides while unrestrained. Since then, about 70 more deaths have been reported. The rock-and-play sleepers were sold between September 2009 and April 2019 at major retailers, including Walmart, Target, and Amazon. Consumers are urged to stop using the product immediately and contact Fisher Price for a refund or voucher. Ronzoni announced its tiny star-shaped pastina would be discontinued this month, and foodies on social media are not happy with the news. The pasta has been a fan favorite for a very long time, often making appearances in soups. According to Ronzoni, the decision to discontinue pastina was made after its long-term supplier said it would no longer be able to make the pasta. The company said it was unable to find an alternative solution. The dismay is such that there are petitions for Ranzoni to keep Pastina. As of Monday morning, one petition had more than 2,800 signatures. And still to come, Beijing is hitting back at travel curbs by halting visas from South Korea and Japan. Seoul says it's communicating with Beijing about the decision. And thousands of workers clashed with police at a COVID-19 test kit factory in China, What was the reason? Find out soon when we return. Welcome back. The Chinese regime stopped issuing visas today for South Koreans and Japanese. It's retaliation for travel restrictions on arrivals from China. A brief notice from the Chinese embassy in Seoul said the measures would be adjusted if South Korea cancels its entry restrictions on China. No other details were given. More than a dozen countries, including the U.S., are requiring negative tests for travelers coming from China. South Korea took it a step further. The country suspended short-term visa applications from its consulates in China until the end of the month. The Chinese Communist Party also has threatened to retaliate against other countries. Here's the sort of language being used. A CCP spokesperson says the measures disregard science and facts and call the policy discriminatory. He added that the Chinese regime firmly rejected these restrictions and is taking reciprocal measures. Seoul says it's now in talks with Beijing over the visa suspension. South Korea's foreign ministry says the quarantine measures for travelers from China is based on scientific and objective grounds. Thousands scuffled with police at a COVID-19 test kit factory in China. The reason? Unpaid wages and massive layoffs. Entity's Tiffany Meyer brings us more.
8: Conflicts at a COVID-19 test kit factory in China's southwest metropolis, Chongqing. Thousands of workers clashed with police over the weekend. Footage online shows workers throwing various objects at officers. And the police force running away from angry protesters. The conflict comes as 8,000 workers were laid off by a local drug manufacturer. During the pandemic, the factory was a big supplier of COVID-19 test kits, with 10,000 employees working there. But as Beijing abruptly turned away from its zero COVID-19 policy, mass testings and quarantines also ended. A worker explained online that the factory has, quote, no orders anymore and has started firing people. Another worker there told us they felt staff were being unfairly treated, but their appeals were ignored.
6: The agent was there with a loudspeaker yelling things like, you go when I tell you to go, don't cause trouble. Just very arrogant words. Sure, everyone is angry, and we will not reason with him.
8: Employees enraged by unpaid wages and a sudden layoff, gave up the working shifts and struck a protest. Later, destroying machinery and working facilities. COVID-19 test kits were scattered on the ground afterward. To quell the anger, the factory promised to pay wages for December and January. But it pulled back that agreement after protesters dispersed, instead accusing protesters of threatening factory officials. Elsewhere in southern China, a similar protest broke out at a local plastic plant, sparked by a dispute over wages and layoffs. Are New York City officials tied to agents of China's communist regime? A New Year's Eve event in Times Square is giving way to concerns after a Beijing official appeared during the festivities. That official is Huang Ping, the council general for New York's Chinese embassy. He's known as a staunch advocate for Beijing and supporter of CCP leader Xi Jinping's communist ideology. Dubbed socialism with Chinese characteristics, he also defends the regime against human rights abuse accusations. Huang spoke in Manhattan during the Hong Kong Rocks event, wishing celebrators a Happy New Year and urging them to visit China. That's on a backdrop of glitzy dance and music performances, plus a kung fu circus, a special edition scarf from a known fashion designer, plates of dim sum and Hong Kong-style milk tea organized by the Times Square Alliance. The event reportedly welcomed over 100 guests and dignitaries from the government, diplomatic, business and academic circles and travel communities of New York. Those details come from a press release from New York's Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office. But here's where the concern comes in. The document lists companies and groups as event contributors. Several of them with strong links to China's state-controlled media and Beijing's top propaganda department. It's a curious backdrop for the Hong Kong-inspired event, when the city itself has seen the rise of a pro-democracy movement since 2019. That summer, protests erupted in the city over a Beijing-backed extradition bill. Opponents said the measure would help Beijing suppress and control dissent in the city and push out freedoms like press and assembly.
0: Thai Customs said today that they seized over 110 pounds of crystal methamphetamine smuggled inside cotton carpets that were being transferred to Hong Kong. Customs officials showed to media how the drugs were rolled into the carpets. They said the local value of the seized narcotics would have risen from $90,000 to $900,000 had it made it to the streets of Hong Kong. Thai Customs reported there have been 48 drug seizures worth a total of $5.6 million since October 2022. Investigations are underway on the current seizure. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. still to come, NATO's top leader is warning against underestimating Russia. This is after signing a new joint declaration between the Alliance and the European Union. The CEO of TikTok meets with the European Commissioner for Values and Transparency in Brussels. We'll have more shortly here on NTD News Today. The head of the world's largest military alliance issued a warning against underestimating Russia as the country mobilizes more troops for the war in Ukraine.
3: We have seen that Russia has suffered uh, 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 big losses in, uh, in Ukraine uh, due to the brave uh, Ukrainian soldiers and the uh, professionalism and dedication of the Ukrainian armed forces. But we should not underestimate Russia. Uh, they are mobilizing more troops. They are uh, working hard to uh, acquire more equipment, more ammunition. And they have shown uh, willingness to actually uh, suffer, uh, but to continue uh, the war. And there is no indication that President Putin has changed uh, the overall aim of his uh, uh, brutal war against uh, Ukraine. So we need to be prepared for
0: the long haul. Stoltenberg's warning came as NATO and the EU signed their third declaration on cooperation. He said the declaration would take EU-NATO partnership to a new level at a time of challenges. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the European Union will continue to pressure Moscow to end the war. She also promised to extending sanctions to countries supporting Russia, including Belarus. Then she responded to her question about the supply of Western battle tanks to Kyiv. She agreed that Ukrainians should receive all the necessary military equipment they need. But Russia is not the only threat facing the EU and NATO. The declaration also cites China's growing assertiveness and policies. Russia may want to buy back an aircraft carrier that Ukraine sold to China over two decades ago. The proposal was made by a leader of Russia's pro-war Liberal Democratic Party. He suggested buying the warship back and putting it into service. This Chinese aircraft carrier is known as the Liaoning. The ship was supposed to become the mainstay of the Soviet Union, but after its collapse, Ukraine, as part of the Soviet Union, was anxious to dispose of the unfinished aircraft carrier. In 1996, the Chinese Communist Party began planning to purchase the carrier under the name of an international businessman, claiming it would be converted into a casino. That dispelled Western suspicions of Chinese military movements at the time. The Liaoning was commissioned in 2012 and is now the mainstay of the People's Liberation Army Navy. TikTok's chief executive, Zi Chu, was in Brussels today. He met with the European Commissioner for Values and Transparency, Yara Yoruba. The European Commission said the two could be expected to discuss the protection of personal data. They also could address the implementation of the EU's Digital Services Act. Chu was also scheduled to meet with the European Union's antitrust chief, the EU Justice Commissioner, and the Home Affairs Commissioner. The series of meetings comes a day after the Internal Market Commissioner said the Chinese social media company has to respect European Union rules. Those include transparency requirements regarding its algorithms. The Pentagon is barring Israeli pilots with foreign passports from flying F-35 fighter jets. The move comes amid concerns about information security and technology leaks. The Jerusalem Post reports that the Israeli Air Force accepted the request and has stopped assigning pilots to the F-35 Adir aircraft. The move follows reports of the Chinese military recruiting experienced Western pilots into its training programs. Last month, a U.S. court indicted a former U.S. Marine Corps pilot on charges that he helped train Chinese fighter pilots. The Jerusalem Post also reported there is concern about the use of Chinese-made cars in the Israeli military. U.S. officials fear that Chinese cars with advanced multimedia systems could access sensitive information from the phones of Israeli officers and feed it to Chinese intelligence. In the UK, planned strikes by healthcare workers look set to go ahead after ministers held a series of meetings with union officials. The talks have been described as an insult and a blow to any hopes of progress towards a deal to end the dispute.
9: Talks between the government and trade unions on NHS workers' pay ended with no resolution on Monday. Speaking after a meeting with the health secretary, Unite negotiator One Kasab accused the government of telling staff they would need to justify a payment through productivity, calling it an insult.
4: We are extremely angry that the response from the government
3: is to talk about productivity. I just want to emphasize again, this is about saving the NHS. It's about every single NHS uh, worker. We won't be split
9: off. A representative from Unison said progress has been made, but there had been no tangible concessions. It was a very civil meeting. We did actually manage to talk about pay. We didn't get the tangible concessions um, that we uh, might have hoped or that would enable us to call off the strikes later this week and and next. Uh, But it was definitely a progress. We were in a room with the Secretary of State talking about pay. On Monday, while visiting a medical practice in Leeds, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said that he was pleased that union leaders accepted ministers' invitations for the talks. He declined to say whether a one-off payment to nurses could be an option on the table.
1: The most important thing is that the conversations are happening, that people are talking, and with regard to pay, we have to have those conversations based on what is affordable, what's reasonable, what's responsible for the country. But look. People need to get talking, that's what they're doing, and hopefully we can find a way through this.
9: Alongside talks with health unions, Education Secretary Gillian Keegan was holding talks with teaching unions. If this meeting is going to have any outcome, then uh, Gillian Keegan, who's the Secretary of State for Education, has to um, tell us if there is new money on the table for an increased pay offer this year. The National Education Union will announce this week over whether their members will go on strike.
0: England's NHS will discharge thousands of patients into care homes in the next few weeks to free up desperately needed hospital beds. The government said it would make up to $240 million of additional funding available in England to buy short-term care places. Patients who doctors judge have low medical needs will be discharged and looked after in the community. There will also be $60 million to improve existing facilities. Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting called the move another sticking plaster, which is the UK equivalent of a Band-Aid fix or a short-term solution. The NHS is experiencing one of its toughest winters ever. Some patients are being treated in corridors. Ambulances have been lining up outside hospitals to hand over patients to emergency wards amid a shortage of staff and beds. The NHS is under pressure from COVID, flu, and upcoming strikes while tackling the backlog caused by the pandemic and the lockdowns. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said last week that reducing hospital waiting lists was one of his five priorities this year. And just ahead, a California-based startup unveils a drive-and-fly electric vehicle with vertical takeoff. The EV made its debut at the CES Tech Show in Las Vegas. Electric boats also draw interest at the CES show. These vessels use a special technology to rise above the water's surface. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. There's a new electric vehicle in the works, and it's not just for driving. You can also fly it. The car made its debut at the CES Tech Show in Las Vegas. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the Airborne EV.
10: The Aska A5 is an electric vehicle you can both drive and fly. It can take off vertically or from a conventional runway, making it what's known as an electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, or tall the A5 has an air range of 250 miles on a single charge. We don't need the terminals. We don't need electrification. We don't need
6: all the uh, what EV don't need to have taking off. You have to drive to the airport. You have to provide place for people to park. This one is pick you up
10: from your house, drive you to where you can take off. You take off and you fly. The California-based startup, ASCA, is planning to launch a fleet of A5s in 2026. They'll be used for on demand ride service. Most of people use it as a ride share, so they will call it like they call Uber Black, and the vehicle will come. In the future, it will be drivable autonomously and flyable autonomously. Apple engineer John Lohman has placed a $5,000 pre order for one of the vehicles. He says he expects to eventually pay upwards of $700,000.
2: I'm super excited about this particular vehicle. I live and work in Silicon Valley, and I actually own a ranch about 100 miles south of Silicon Valley, and it already has a helicopter pad. So to be able to fly above all the traffic and land on my own property is really enticing.
10: Flying cars have always been a large part of an imagined future, but now it looks like the future is here.
2: I think this this is like the Jetsons back in the 50s and we're gonna see flying cars in our lifetime. Aska is not the first, they're not the only, but I believe they're the best and I'm really excited to see this come to fruition.
10: CES 2023 ran from January 5th through the 8th in Las Vegas and featured more than 3,200 exhibitors. This year's show attracted more than 115,000 attendees, greater than the 100,000 expected. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Flying cars have recently drawn attention at the CES tech show in Las Vegas, but this year electric boats are leaving those vehicles in their wake. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the EBS.
10: Swedish company Candela unveiled a 28-foot electric-powered hydrofoil speedboat at CES. The vessel can cruise for over two hours at 20 miles per hour.
2: Electric boating has been really slow to take off, and the reason is that it's super hard to electrify conventional hulls, because they use so much power at high speeds. So we've done an electric hydrofoiling boat, which basically flies above the friction of water, and it uses 80 percent less energy, uh, which in turn means longer range and higher speed. So this is the way to sort of crack the code to electric boats.
10: California startup, Navier, tried to outdo its Scandinavian rival by bringing an electric hydrofoil that's a little bit longer. The companies and their consumers are partly motivated by reducing carbon emissions.
11: And you are seeing electrification on the land, you know, in the air, you cannot leave behind 30%, 70% of the world that is the ocean and the marine, right? And that's a big contribution to the carbon emissions too.
10: Electric-powered boats can also offer a smoother and quieter ride. The foiling design lifts the hull above the water surface at higher speeds. They've been described as the Teslas of the sea. But what starts off as a luxury vehicle could eventually transform the industry. Both Candela and Navier are planning for a secondary market of electric ferries.
11: You know, coastal cities are like 46% of the world, whether that's like San Francisco, New York, Seattle, London, Hong Kong, Macau. So you can suddenly with technology like hydrofoiling able to like make a boat that's 10 times more efficient, has no seasickness, great ride quality, and unlock a whole new mode of transportation that was never before possible.
10: Many of the companies developing electric boats also have teams working on making these vehicles more autonomous. CES 2023 ran from January 5th through the 8th in Las Vegas. The show drew more than 115,000 attendees. Andrew Thomas, NTD News
0: wireless headphones embedded in earrings. At the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Nova's new audio earrings caught the attention of both tech and fashion lovers.
5: Uh, The Nova H1 audio earrings are the first um, headphone, wireless in Ford, embedded in uh, earrings. Uh, Warm on the earlobe, you can see it's on me. Um, They look like luxury earrings, in fact they are smart. Uh, you can connect them you to your phone via Bluetooth to make phone call or listen
8: to your music. So I just tried on these wonderful coral earrings that really make listening to audio much more fashionable. And so they're comfortable. You could hear really well. I was surprised that the people around me couldn't hear. And so it can be part of your jewelry without having to you know, have
4: unsightly earrings on.
0: The Nova H1 headphones don't go into the ear canal but work like clip-on earrings. The device uses Nova's patented directional sound technology. It channels audio towards the ear creating a layer of sound on top of the natural sounds surrounding the wearer. The company says the sound won't leak outwards. Right now the earrings are only available in the UK but they will come to North America and Japan in June this year. Customers can choose between a gold-plated and silver-plated surface. And still to come, a new exhibition in Rome features stone paintings from the 16th and 17th century. The show brings together works from all over the world. Details to come on NTD News Today. A new exhibition in Rome features stone painters from the 16th and 17th century, including one of the most valuable cabinets in the world entity's Andrew Thomas has the details.
10: The Galleria Borghese in Rome is bringing together works from numerous Italian and foreign museums and collections. Italian painter Sebastiano del Piombo invented the art of stone painting after the sack of Rome in 1527. Months of looting and anarchy ensued so del Piombo began to paint on materials other than canvas that would be more resistant to destruction. Del Piombo's new method meant painting could last more like sculpture. 16th century sources tell us this choice was oriented towards conservation, almost towards making the works eternal. Sebastiano del Piombo had lived through the sack of Rome, this terrible experience of works being lost when the Lanchnecks were in Rome. And therefore, he invented this technique precisely to give the works a chance of greater durability. Among the most valuable works in the exhibition, the most important work is the Borghese Windsor cabinet. The work reveals the focus on precious stones at that time.
6: It was key to pick the right stone And I think that what we miss and don't really know much about was the cooperation that must have existed between stone cutters and painters.
10: An English antiquarian bought the cabinet in 1821, then sold it in 1827 to King George IV. He gave it to Windsor Castle, where it remained for over 130 years. The Borghese cabinet was part of the British royal collections until 1959, when it was sold. In 2016, the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles paid a record price to acquire the precious piece of furniture. The work was sold to the American Museum at Sotheby's in Paris for $2.4 million. But the stone itself may have been cheaper than previously believed.
6: The Borghese cabinet is by far the most precious object in the exhibition. And what we found during research for the show was that often these stones were not as expensive as we thought.
10: A timeless wonder, painting on stone in Rome in the 17th century will run until January 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A surprise find in central Poland, construction workers in the city of Lodz unearthed hundreds of Jewish artifacts while renovating an old apartment. The deputy mayor of Ludz said in a tweet that discoveries like this only come once a decade. The artifacts are believed to have been hidden before the Nazis occupied the city. They were carefully wrapped in newspaper and buried near where Jews in the city were imprisoned during the Holocaust. City officials said the artifacts are now being transferred to a museum. Ludz was once home to one of the largest Jewish communities in Europe with more than 200,000 members, making up over 30% of the city's population. Almost all of them were killed during World War II. Medical research suggests that what a person eats can affect their mental health. That being said, there are some foods you'll want to stay away from. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
11: It's hard to say that foods cause depression, but evidence seems to suggest that if someone is prone to it, there are certain foods that just won't help. Let's look at some of the common food items associated with symptoms of depression. Starting with refined sugar. Refined sugar causes blood sugar to fall. This can lead to a sugar hangover that affects mood and zaps you of energy. When shopping for food, remember that sugar comes in many forms, including corn syrup, honey, maltose, dextrose, fructose, and sucrose. Next on the list is artificial sweeteners. Aspartame is an enemy worth noting. It blocks the production of serotonin, leading to mood fluctuations, headaches, and insomnia. Other artificial sweeteners may also cause mood problems. Next on the list is processed food. White bread, cereal, pasta and snack foods are refined carbs. They can have the same effect on your blood sugar that consuming a bowl of candies will. You can end up tired and sad after eating them. Next on the list is hydrogenated oils. If you are prone to depression, avoid fried chicken, fried calamari and french fries. Anything cooked in hydrogenated oils and has trans fats are known to contribute. Next on the list is sodium. Excess sodium can interrupt the neurological system and cause fatigue. It can also lead to fluid retention and bloating, which can drag you down. Next on the list is alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant as it has a noticeable effect on the central nervous system. It slows down your thinking, understanding, and reasoning and can make symptoms of depression worse. And finally on the list is caffeine. Medical researchers say that moderate amounts of caffeine can influence symptoms of depression and anxiety. Caffeine can disrupt sleep and that impacts mood. You can see why this is considered bad news for those who suffer from depression. If you do suffer from depression, you need to keep in mind that treating depression with diet may not be enough. It's best to seek medical guidance.
0: A group of medical workers in Michigan had a prosperous holiday after winning a million dollars from the Powerball lottery in October. The group consists of 78 nurses, doctors, and other healthcare workers, They call themselves the Heroes to Zeros Lottery Club. They started the lottery pool several years ago, and about 65 of them play consistently. The group won the big prize in Halloween. Each member got almost $13,000. In a statement, their representative said, quote, This is a nice bonus for us around the holidays. Today is a day dedicated to the majestic eagle. National Save the Eagles Day falls on January 10th each year. Bald eagles were once endangered, but were removed from the list in 2007. In the past decade, their population has been soaring. It's more than quadrupled since 2009. People plan to honor Save the Eagles Day by watching documentaries or reading about eagles, visiting a bird sanctuary, or taking part in conservation efforts. If you join, you can share your efforts on social media with the hashtag Save the Eagles Day. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News.